helped us. What is it to believe? Faith means forsaking all. I trust him. That's what believing is, believing faith. Mr. Spurgeon uses the example of a limpet. And of course, when those limpets are washed up and onto the rock, they use their little suckers to cling to the rock. And sometimes they will relax and move around a little bit. But if someone thumps the rock, they cling. And he says, you can take a bar or a a piece of wood, but you cannot get those limpets off the rock. They are clingers. And Christians who are believers on the Lord Jesus, they have learned to cling to their Savior. And they'll never let go. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and today we are moving into the mode of the Protestant Reformation. We have Luther lesson number one, and our message today is on grace. You may have heard of that doctrine of sola gratia, that we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone. And of course, it is this matter of grace, the mercy that flows from the heart of our infinite God through his blessed Son that we receive mercy from the Lord. We begin now with our Luther lesson for today. Just a couple of minutes as we set before you something of the early life and the stand that Martin Luther took for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. One of the privileges of the monastic life was that it emancipated the sinner from all distractions and freed him to save his soul by practicing the counsels of perfection. Not simply charity, sobriety, and love, but chastity, poverty, obedience, fastings, vigils, and mortifications of the flesh. Whatever good works a man may do to save himself, these Luther was resolved to perform. He fasted sometimes three days on end without a crumb. The seasons of fasting were more consoling to him than those of feasting. Lent was more comforting than Easter. He laid upon himself vigils and prayers in excess of those stipulated by the rule. He cast off the blankets permitted him and well-nigh froze himself to death. At times he was proud of his sanctity and would say, I have done nothing wrong today. Then misgiving would arise. Have you fasted enough? Are you good enough? He would then strip himself of all save that which decency required. He believed in later life that his austerities had done permanent damage to his digestion. I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on my any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. The trouble was that he could not satisfy God at any point. Commenting in later life on the Sermon on the Mount, Luther gave searching expression to his disillusionment, referring to the precepts of Jesus 
He said, This word is too high and too hard that any one should fulfill it. This is proved not merely by our Lord's word, but by our own experience and feeling. Take any upright man or woman. He will get along very nicely with those who do not provoke him, but let someone proffer only the slightest irritation, and he will flare up in anger, if not against friends, then against enemies. Flesh and blood cannot rise above it. Luther simply had not the capacity to fulfill the conditions. But, according to the Church of Rome, if he could not, others might. The Church, while taking the individualistic view of sin, takes a corporate view of goodness. Sins must be accounted for one by one, but goodness can be pooled, and there is something to pool because the saints, the Blessed Virgin, and the Son of God were better than they needed to be for their own salvation. Christ, in particular, being both sinless and God, is possessed of an unbounded store. These superfluous merits of the righteous constitute a treasury which is transferable to those whose accounts are in arrears. The transfer is effected through the church and particularly through the Pope, to whom, as the successor of St. Peter, have been committed the keys to bind and lose. Such a transfer of credit was called an indulgence. Luther was soon to be disillusioned by the hollowness of such fabricated notions. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. I do thank you for joining with us, and I trust the Lord has blessed you. That was Luther lesson number two, and each day we intend to give a Luther lesson as we come to this Reformation week. May the Lord bless you and encourage you, and we are turning now to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We're turning to the pulpit ministry of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. So Paul here is giving them their pedigree, and he's laying out who they were, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. That sounds like loss, doesn't it? That reads like you have, you're outside, there's no way. But, he begins verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. What a difference the atonement makes. What a difference the crosswork of Jesus makes. What a difference when you come as a guilty sinner and you say, Lord, save me. Then you can be pronounced that by grace are ye saved. And so this is the saving power of grace. Now, the meat of the message tonight is coming up in this point. The single instrument of grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that is the essence of the gospel. And that's where we are brought into the family of God. There is only one vehicle one instrument that God has ordained, one pipeline by which this gospel of saving power flows into your heart, into your soul, and that is by faith. There is no other way. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And here is where Paul argues his point. And he says it, first of all, positively, by faith, and then negatively, not of works, just in case you miss it, just in case you don't get the point. It's like when moms say to their children when they are sent to the store, bring me some bread, not potatoes, bread, just in case they miss the message. And here is the apostle saying that ye are saved by faith, not of works. And he is seeking to hammer the message through. Now, this is very consistent with the gospel. Uh, you remember Paul's theses in the book of Romans, where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, for the righteousness of God is from faith to faith. And this is the essential, it is the single instrument by which we are brought into the family of God. Now, faith, you'll notice here, is a bringer. It brings us into the very joy of salvation. Look at verse 7. Verse chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the riches of his grace in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Faith brings us to Jesus. And if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus tonight, then you are marvelously and wonderfully saved. Now, there's a whole argument in the, amongst theologians about how this happens. And this goes away back to the days of the Puritans, and they wrote extensively on this. What is it 
that prepares men to receive the gospel. Is there not a preparatory work that needs to be done? Or is salvation something of an instant? Well, we know that God uses means, and God works to convict, and he works to bring people to the place where they are willing and ready to hear the gospel. But William Ames, the Puritan, he went to uh, some length, and he really brought it down to this, that the plowman can spend days and weeks plowing the field, but there's no seed in the ground until the farmer comes and sows the seed on that day. And so we might talk about preparation for salvation, that we need to be convicted, we need illumination, we need instruction, or we need to be brought to an end of ourselves by circumstances. And those things can be used of God. But be careful, because there are illuminated people in hell. There are people who have felt the conviction of sin and their loss. There are people who have had the plowing of truth within their hearts, and they have felt their own need of the Savior. But it stopped short of faith, and they're lost. And of course, the Bible warns us very, very carefully and clearly that without faith, no man will be saved. So faith is a bringer. Faith is also a blocker. It blocks works, and it renounces man's performance. You might say, well, I've prepared my heart. I've done this, I've done that, I've repented, I've shed tears, I've done the other thing. Let me tell you, without faith, all your tears of repentance will not save your soul. Faith alone is what unites the soul of man to the living Lord Jesus. Now, I say tonight that faith is man's responsibility. I want to see an example here of Abraham in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, and we'll see here the responsibility. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Well, let's read verses 1 to 3. What shall we say then that Abram our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abram were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And here, of course, is man's responsibility. Man is to believe. Man is to trust. And it is our faith, it is our response to the offer of salvation. But faith is also our judge. And in John chapter 3, 36, we're told, He that believeth in the Son uh, is 
saved. He that believeth not the Son is lost. And, of course, uh, in Revelation 21.8, we're told that unbelievers are cast out of heaven. And faith, therefore, is the single instrument by which you are saved. I don't want to hear about your tears. I don't want to hear about your heart struggles. I don't want to hear about the attempts that you've made. I don't want to hear about the efforts and the performance and the churchianity and everything else. I want to know that you have personally believed on the Lord Jesus. What is it to believe? Faith means forsaking all. I trust him. That's what believing is, believing faith. Mr. Spurgeon uses the example of a limpet. And, of course, when those limpets are washed up and onto the rock, they use their little suckers to cling to the rock. And sometimes they will relax and move around a little bit. But if someone thumps the rock, they cling. And he says, you can take a bar or a, a piece of wood, but you cannot get those limpets off the rock. They are clingers. And Christians who are believers on the Lord Jesus, they have learned to cling to their Savior. And they'll never let go because they have been born of the Spirit and the very Spirit of faith has been born in them. Now we're moving to the fourth point tonight, the simple pronouncement of grace. It is the gift of God. Can you see how clear the apostle is in these statements? He emphasizes that it is by grace we're saved. It's done. It's complete that faith alone is the instrument, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And here is the apostles' and argument. Now, I looked up this word gift. The first time you'll find it in the New Testament in the Greek language was when the wise men came to the Lord bearing gifts. It's the Greek word doron. And when the wise men brought their gifts, they were truly given freely. There was no charge, no questions, no conditions, no payback program. They were offered fully, freely, totally to the honor, the dignity, and the use of the Savior. When God gives us the gift of salvation, it is unconditional. He doesn't begin to bargain with us. I'll give you this if you do this. No, it is the gift of God. Because if you pay a penny, if you make the least little payment then it's no longer grace. That's the argument of Paul in Romans 11, verse 6. I want to 
just bring you to that verse tonight, Romans 11 and verse 6. Even so, there is at this time a remnant according to the election of grace. God has a people in mind to whom he's going to give the gift and bestow grace. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And this is the reason why God has planned and programmed and executed that you should be saved fully, freely by a gift, the gift of salvation. Now, we know that involved in that gift was the gift of his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And when he gave his Son, God gave himself. He gave his everything, all the riches of his grace, all the infinite nature of his mercies to sinful men. And here, God is silencing all boasting. And he says it right here in verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why is it totally of grace? Why is it totally free with no conditions? Why is it all of God and nothing of man? Because God will not have you or me in heaven saying, I got here my way, or I did my part, or I was a better receiver than that other person. No, every one of us have been won and saved and bought by the finished work of the cross, because God knew the curse of pride. When Satan sought the ruin of the world, he introduced pride. When God planned the redemption of the world, he ruled out all man's pride. You have nothing to boast of in yourself. All that we can do is join the crescendo of praise and sing the praises of the one who hath redeemed us. And heaven will have only one song. Thou art worthy. That's our Savior tonight. And if you are not saved, we invite you to the cross. We invite you to receive the gift. God gave his Son. What are you to believe in? Believe in his Son. Believe in the miraculous birth his sinless life, his atoning death, his miraculous resurrection, his continual intercession, the power of his blood, all a gift, free to those who believe. Now, I believe tonight there's someone here, and you're a doubter, you're a skeptic, and you're questioning. You have never entered in. Let me tell you that if you do bow the knee and accept the Lord as your Savior, you'll doubt no more. You'll doubt no more. 
because the Lord will take the doubts away. We may come trembling by faith. I remember a preacher, it might have been Thomas Watson, who talked about faith is weak, and you may come with a trembling hand to receive the peel of water. And you might come trembling, but you're coming genuinely, believing to receive the water of life. And if you're a lost soul tonight, the Lord is to be received by faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And on another time, we'll preach on verse 10 that we are meant to be workers after we're saved, never before it, after. And, of course, those who are saved become true and jealous, gracious workers for the I really appreciate you taking your time to join with us here as we bring the message of the gospel day by day here on Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of our Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. And I hope that I can be of some personal help to you. Perhaps you have heard the message today and realize that you need to be saved. You need to be made right with God and reconciled to God through the gospel because your works certainly cannot save you. Then I would be delighted to talk with you further if you wish to give me a call or send me an email. Just to wrap up a few of the points that I noted in the message, uh, the opposite of grace is meritorious works. Grace is God's free gift. But many and majority of people think that they can get to heaven by their own works that they need to work their way. I also said in the message that God must do it himself by his own power. Well, that means that we just surrender and we come to receive the gift of grace, the gift of salvation that is full and free. And it is not until we surrender to God's gift that we can possibly receive it. While we think that we can do it ourselves, we can find our own way to heaven, then we will not be saved. I also mentioned that sin has left mankind deformed. We are deaf to the message of God, blind to his truth, and we need, therefore, new life. And this is what Christ came into the world to do, he gives us ears to hear, and he gives us spiritual eyes to see. And again, I want to call you and invite you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now we're coming to the final announcements. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, and this is Ian Golliher. In this closing minute of the program, let me share with you my burden to take the gospel to the unsaved, even those who will never go to church or listen to a Bible program. So, 
I have written a number of gospel leaflets and called them, Let the Bible Speak to Your Heart. On the front cover, I set out a Bible passage. The one in my hand is on John 10, where the Lord Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd. I think it's important to get the Word of God into the hands of the reader. On the inside pages of this four-side leaflet, I lay out the gospel in clear terms and explain the parable of Jesus calling himself the Good Shepherd. I explain substitutionary atonement and call the reader to repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus for cleansing in his blood. I then put in a QR code for people to scan to listen to a full audio message on the Lord Jesus as the Good Shepherd. The back page has a few interesting quotes, like the one by Hannah Moore. No man ever repented of being a Christian on his deathbed. Then I give information on the local radio station, church online ministry, and my phone number for people to call for pastoral help. These can be used by churches, by families, to give to neighbors and friends. If you could use these leaflets, then call me at 604-897-2040 or go to our website, ltbs.ca, to see a sample which you can print out from the site. Thank you for listening today. Remember to send for the Let the Bible Speak radio leaflet.